welcome to the Boss Ladies Podcast. I'm Olivia Wary, and as a young female working in the industry of technology, I'm constantly struggling to find my voice and overcome challenges thrown my way. I've decided to have conversations with boss ladies in every industry to hear how they do it. Boss Ladies is intended to inspire women and men of all ages to overcome their fears, explore moonshot thinking, speak up for who they are and what they believe in, and move up in their respective industries. Every day we are faced with challenges, so it is my intention to empower you to get the advice you need by interviewing top executives who have been through it all. Today, please join me in welcoming Jen Hensley, the president of Link at Intersection. Welcome, Jen. Great. I'm so excited. All right. <laughs> so why don't you start by just telling me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you went to school, and sort of how you got to where you are now. Sure thing. I, uh, I grew up in Fresno, California. Uh, I left there to come to Barnard College in New York City, which was quite the eye-opening experience. But uh, yeah, spent four years at Barnard and then, you know, got an apartment in the city, married a New Yorker, and now uh, I'm here. So and you're in Astoria, right? I'm in Astoria, yeah. yep which I love. I moved there in 2002. It's a great neighborhood. So everybody yeah. check out Astoria. Um, but yeah, no, I worked for the Alliance for Downtown New York uh, as an intern in college, and then later took a full-time job there in 2000 when I graduated and loved it, was doing marketing, concerts, events, mm -hmm. bringing people to the neighborhood downtown back when it was sort of transitioning from being financial financial district to mm -hmm. like 24-7 neighborhood. That's awesome. Um, yeah, which was great <laughs> and uh, good times all around. Yeah. And then 9-11 happened, which really changed the scope of what the organization was mm -hmm. was doing and, and obviously the entire neighborhood and obviously the city and the world. Mm -hmm. But then took that opportunity really to dive in and do a lot of intergovernmental work, working mm -hmm. with the local community board and businesses and really being the representative in the community for the downtown alliance on the rebuilding and mm -hmm. all of the issues that came up around that and so it was a great learning opportunity for me and I stayed there until 2006 when I left to go to grad school mm -hmm. I went to NYU get it got a joint and MBA and MPA mm -hmm. um, so public administration and business administration did you always know you wanted to do that or it was your experience that sort of yeah. I mean, I had um, mentors and, and people who, you know, had been in government, in and out of government, in and out of business mm -hmm. throughout their careers. And I was really fascinated from the, you know, really the power of operating on those two different levels. And so I was always interested in it. NYU had a very new program at the time, but it was, it was a great experience for me. Um, or during my summers there, I went to work at banks. So I worked at JP Morgan and then Bank of America, really trying to get more technical skills. I had mm -hmm. a lot of like sort of softer skills from yeah. my experience at the Downtown Alliance. And so that was a great experience. I was there in investment banking sort of through the peak. Yeah, um, that's kind of a big shift though. It's a huge shift. Yeah. It was a huge shift, mostly because people said I could never get a job in investment banking because <laughs> I came from a nonprofit. So big, big motivation was proving everybody wrong. Yeah. But also, I think just really getting those those skills and stuff. And so it was a good experience. My pie was not my passion. It mm -hmm. was not like a place I loved working. Yeah. Um, and I saw a lot of stuff happen sort of after the collapse of Lehman and mm -hmm. the financial crisis. I was in real estate investment banking. We were doing a lot of re recapitalizations. We were, you know, extremely busy, whereas some of our other colleagues were sort of sitting on the sidelines. So, yeah, um, wow. so it was, yeah, an interesting experience, but not, not my passion project. Mm -hmm. So I ended up leaving the bank and going to work as senior advisor to the chairman of Empire State Development. 
which That's was awesome. New York State's economic development arm. Yeah. And did you get that through connections from your earlier work or were you just yeah, applying? People, and- no, people I knew and, and folks I talked to and it was a it was in the Patterson administration mm-hmm. and the, the chair, a woman named Marissa Lago had uh, just left to go to a job in Washington, D.C. And so a guy from Rochester, Dennis Mullen, took over mm-hmm. for her and he didn't have a lot of downstate experience and he had run Bird's Eye Foods in, yeah. in Rochester. And and um, so he was looking for some help in the in the local market here. And so I ended up covering basically everything south of Albany for him. So doing a bunch of wow. deals for the chip global foundries, the chip mm-hmm. manufacturer up in um, SUNY Albany, a bunch of the development work up there around microchips and and clean rooms and things like that. We did a lot of solar projects in the oh, Mid-Hudson cool. region, which was great, where we're basically providing incentives to businesses to stay and grow in New York State. Awesome. Um, and then New York City covered a lot of the city for him as well. So mm-hmm. that was a great experience. I was there just about a year when Bill Rudin, who's a real estate developer in the city, mm-hmm. he called and asked if I would consider helping him run his family civic association, oh, wow. the uh, Association for Better New York, or ABNY it's called. Yeah. Um, Um, And so I ended up taking that job, which was amazing, really just uh, sort of working with companies and businesses trying to operate in New York City, trying to grow their businesses here, trying to navigate the political landscape and and doing it all with an eye toward making the city a better place. And so we had about uh, 200 15 members, I think, when I started, grew the organization up to over 300 members, grew, um, we did fundraising for philanthropy and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So I grew our budget there and also published, commissioned and published a really interesting report called the New York City Tech Ecosystem, which was the first ever look at sort of tech jobs in the city. A lot of work had focused previously on the technology as a sector Mm -hmm. and looking at tech companies, the Ubers, the, you know, whatever. And what we were really finding is that all companies were becoming technology companies, Mm -hmm. right? Banks and financial services, um, advertising companies were all really becoming technology technology companies in the, you know, 2000s, 2010. And Mm -hmm. so we basically did a report that said technology is a really big deal for New York. And it really changed the way that the city was thinking about its workforce development programs, Mm -hmm. its economic development programs. And we did that with a company called HRNA. So really got a lot of great play for that and in Mm -hmm. cooperation with the city of New York. And and so that was a a really great thing and something I was able to put my stamp on. Mm -hmm. But at the time, two companies had come to Abney um, asking for some help advocating for a really exciting program to replace payphones. So Control Group and Titan mm-hmm. were were both members of the association and they had formed a joint venture to basically replace the public payphones with Wi-Fi kiosks, which I thought was a great idea. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and so got on board, um, helped them, you know, advocate. They needed approval from a bunch of borough presidents and mm-hmm. city officials to be able to move the program forward. Forward. And so I, I worked with the team and, you know, submitted testimony and, yes. and, you know, lobbied on behalf of them. And so, yeah, really got behind the project. And then when they were awarded the contract in December of 2014, they started trying to figure out how to actually operate it. And they called up and in early 2015 and 
asked if I would consider coming and joining the company, which was actually in the process of going through a merger to become this company called Intersection. So today, Titan and Control Group, you know, got together a technology company and an out-of-home advertising mm-hmm. company and formed Intersection. And today I'm the president of the link business here. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so a long and windy road yeah. for sure, but aren't they all? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so for the past three years, I've been running and growing this business. Today, we have about 1,800 units, link units in the streets of New York. Mm-hmm. We're going to be launching in a couple of weeks in Newark and Philadelphia. And we have today 200 links live across the United Kingdom. Wow. Um, so really awesome. a glo- global <laughs> expansion opportunity. And um, what we're most proud of is that we have more than 5 million people who are using our free Wi-Fi who've logged on to use the service and have gotten, you know, super fast, super free Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. which I think, you know, that kind of connectivity really changes the game for what's possible for the public. So it's yeah. a great project. So one question I have is, you know, you have this really amazing story and you've, you've clearly had a lot of experiences working in different sectors. I'm curious, how many women were alongside of you or were you kind of paving the way? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I've always, there have been women that I've worked with mm-hmm. in my life who've been amazing role models and mentors and friends. Mm-hmm. Most of them have been peers. Mm-hmm. Fewer of them have been bosses or superiors. Mm -hmm. I've worked with mostly men, but what I find about the women that I've, that I do work with and the sort of circle that I've developed is that really we are all struggling with a lot of the same stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, we're struggling with how to be heard, how to be recognized, how to be treated fairly. And, you know, there haven't been in my life that many women who have been able to say to me, do it this way. Mm-hmm. It's more people who are in the midst of it themselves who are saying, I'm struggling with that too. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you think about X, Y, or Z? And so it's really like those kind of peer relationships that have given me the space to be able to talk about what I'm experiencing mm-hmm. and navigate it. And, you know, I, in terms of mentors, I think I've had a lot of male mentors mm-hmm. And I've been lucky because when I have been able to put a voice to what I've been feeling, Mm -hmm. they have not only validated those feelings, but they have used their position and knowledge and experience to help me navigate, even though they don't have the same experience themselves. Do you find that that motivates you in a lot of ways to sort of try and step in and be that mentor figure? Um, um, I mean, look, I love people. I'm an, I'm a people person and I naturally gravitate toward people who I think have potential mm-hmm. and who I think are eager to learn, mm-hmm. I think. And so for me, it's not really about like finding young women and bolstering them up, but it's like, it's about seeing and observing talent mm-hmm. and then helping talent grow. And that, and that has given me the opportunity to form, I think, really meaningful relationships mm-hmm. for me. I learn a lot from the people that I mentor, yeah. you know, as it's a two-way relationship yeah. and also making sure that, you know, above all, nobody in this world, in this very crowded world feels alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. So you kind of talked about a few mentors and, and first question I just want to know is sort of who your role model figure is. And then I want to hear a little bit more about some of the mentors. Yeah. yeah. I mean, definitely it all goes back to my dad. My Mm -hmm. dad was like a key is a key figure in my life. He turns 70 next week. So happy um, birthday. (laughs) But he is, you know, he was someone who always saw more for me than I could ever see for myself. Mm -hmm. And I think having that vision for what I could possibly be made me someone who always wants to achieve more. 
more. Mm -hmm. And that's something that is core to who I am. And it's a real, it served me well. He also always made me feel safe. And I think, you know, he was the one that said, leave Fresno, go find a college that's like somewhere as far away as you can possibly think, you know, (laughs) which for a parent to say that is like a hugely generous gift, I think. Yeah. And so he he knew what I was capable of before I did. And I think that's something that is a really from a parent as a parent now is something that I strive to instill in my kids. And that Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, forever grateful for from my dad. I think that's an awesome message. Yeah. Awesome. And then I'd love to hear a little bit more about some of the mentors you've mentioned sort of along your career path and and different ways that they've been able to help you. Absolutely. No, Carl Weisbrod is a guy who worked in the Dinkins administration and for Mayor Koch in New York City and was sort of longtime civic leader in New mm-hmm. York. And he ran the Downtown Alliance when I was there, both as an intern and after. Mm-hmm. And, you know, meeting him when I was 18, I would say really changed the course of what I knew was possible in New York. And he knew so many people. He was so well respected. He had redeveloped Times Square from the 1970s. He'd been you know, was a lead developer of the Arthur Ashe Stadium and the and the tennis center um, in the Dinkins administration. So huge development projects that really changed, you know, New York for the better. Mm-hmm. He was driving a lot of those. And so from him, I learned a lot about how the city works, about how business works, and about how to build stakeholder groups mm-hmm. and, and cultivate those. And I think fundamentally how to listen, which is something I think people don't do enough of these days. So Carl was super influential for me um, and we're still very close friends and and talk all the time. And he's always giving me amazing advice. So that's a relationship I feel really grateful for and proud of. Yeah. Yeah. But there have been others too. I think, you know, Bill Rudin Mm -hmm. is a, is a, you know, real estate giant in New York. He comes from a family with a hundred year old history of investing in the city. And I got to spend five years by his side. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Bill's generosity with his time and his resources gave me opportunities that I couldn't have ever dreamed possible. And he, he really empowered me Mm -hmm. in a meaningful way, which was a gift also. Yeah. Howard Rubenstein, who was one of the original founders of Abney, mm-hmm. is the most graceful person I've ever known. And he's charming, which uh, <laughs> those are all great traits. Yeah. Al Kelly, who was a brief um, spent, uh, is now the head of Visa, CEO of Visa, mm-hmm. and um, previously was at American Express and spent a few months here at <laughs> Intersection, where I got the pleasure of working directly for him. And he made space for me where I didn't mm-hmm. think there was any. And he's also the best manager I've ever seen practice, really understands people and organizations and uses all of his strength to make them better. Yeah. So that was a a real great opportunity for me to spend some time with him. And here at Intersection, our chairman is Dan Doktoroff, who was a deputy mayor under mm-hmm. the Bloomberg administration and now is the executive CEO of uh, Sidewalk Labs, an alphabet company that's working on building cities from the internet up, really driving connectivity and the meaning of you know what, what connectivity can provide to society. Mm-hmm. And I think Dan has taught me the power of magic. He's a a true believer in a lot of great visions and Mm -hmm. a visionary himself, which is inspiring to be around. So lots of of great mentors for sure. That's awesome. So just to go back to Al Kelly for one second, I'm curious to hear sort of what you think really makes a good manager and what you think he did so well that you think other managers should really take into consideration when managing a team. 
Yeah. I mean, management is hard, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard because you have to make tough decisions and you have to like do things for the good of the whole that maybe individuals may or may not like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think fundamentally is just Al's integrity Mm -hmm. and, and knowing that he was completely trustworthy when he was making a decision or talking to you about something, you knew that he was coming at it really with the best interests of the whole company Mm -hmm. and of every, all of his responsibilities in mind. And so it made you believe in what he was was saying, Mm -hmm. which I think is for every manager, super important. And I think also, you know, the ability, Al had the ability to sort of take any stressful situation Mm -hmm. and kind of like dial it back, just like he would moderate his tone. He would moderate his cadence, even when he was dealing with difficult issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he wanted to be thoughtful and he was, he is thoughtful. And I think that's, um, you know, taking that time to really think through an issue, to reflect on it, mm-hmm. to be organized in your approach and your thinking to make sure that you understand and are preparing for all eventualities or as, mm-hmm. as many as you can possibly foresee, you yeah. know, and also that you understand what you can't foresee, you know, yeah. and that you're honest and upfront and, and forthcoming about it, I think made him somebody extremely compelling for me mm-hmm. to work with. And definitely, you know, I always felt about Al that he was a real partner in mm-hmm. whatever problem I was trying to solve. And I think that's something I hope that I model for my team mm-hmm. and the other people that I work with you know, here at Intersection and everything I do. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. You know, it's super important, I think, to have sort of that feeling of comfort and psychological safety and partnership when when working with someone, especially who you sort of see as a mentor figure and as a manager to, to have that safety instilled in you. I think that's, I mean, that makes you yeah. probably perform much better because... I don't know. You're more comfortable. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I mean, yeah. and it really is about getting the best out of people, right? Yeah. Like getting them to to feel like they want to contribute, that mm-hmm. they want to bring their best foot, put their best foot forward, right? That they want to solve a complicated problem that yeah. they're, you know, so I think that sense of safety is really important for yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So I'm curious to hear, you know, like we said, you have an amazing sort of background and lots of different experiences. And I'm curious to hear sort of what advice you feel helped you get where you are now. If there's anything that stands out or anything you'd want to sort of pass forward to anyone else who's growing throughout their career. Yeah, yeah, no, I think, I mean, I, good advice I've gotten is really to like be myself and to, to work hard and to, you know, go after what I want and to do what I think, you know, all the sort of normal stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, one great lesson that has really changed me is something I learned from Bill Rudin, who really taught me never to apologize. Like he, he's someone who just, who every day, you know, every a million decisions come across his desk every minute. He's making decisions. He's doing what he thinks is right. And he's moving on to the next thing, you know? And I think that's something that is really valuable. And especially when I had kids and there's that sort of tension of like, should I be with my kids? Should I be at work? You know, every day you're making decisions about how to spend your time and you know how to balance your commitment. Mm-hmm. And I think you just have to trust that you're making the right decision. Mm-hmm. You're doing what you feel like you need to do at that moment to make your life work. And that's okay. Like you yeah. shouldn't have to apologize for that. And when you don't feel like you have to apologize, mm-hmm. then you're freed up to make a decision and move on. Yeah. And you don't sort of like torment over like, oh God, should I have like done something right or wrong? And I don't yeah. mean don't be reflective and don't think about things 
you know, don't be thoughtful, Mm -hmm. but, but I do mean like have the confidence of your, of your decision Mm -hmm. and feel like you sort of can, can act boldly in the world to do what you need to do, you know, grounded in what you think is right and, and fair and reasonable, but, but also, you know, make your decisions and, and stand by them. Yeah. I love that. So I'm curious to hear sort of what advice you would want to pass on to others who might be either fighting battles or dealing with challenges that you feel you've already sort of defeated or you've already won. You know, I don't, I definitely don't think of things as battles and I Mm -hmm. don't think that there's like winners and losers Mm -hmm. all the time. I think that there's, the world is so vast and people's relationships are so complicated that really it's just about learning and Mm -hmm. growing and being the best person, Olivia or Jen, (laughs) that you can be, you know, and I, and that's a little bit maybe cliche, but I do, I really actually do think that like, you know, it's about, um, my advice to others is really to, you know, be strong Mm -hmm. and take care of yourself Mm -hmm. and force others to take care of you too, because women don't do that enough. And I think just really make sure that every experience that you have is one that's really making you a bigger, better, more capable person. I love that. (laughs) So tell me about a time that you overcame a challenge in your career, which I'm sure that happens like every day, but I'd love to hear one in particular that you feel that was difficult and and you had to. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was one time when I was negotiating um, to come to start a new job and I felt like the person I had negotiated with sort of didn't negotiate in good faith that Mm -hmm. what the deal that I thought was on the table sort of changed at the last minute and was not fair. And when I got to this place, Mm -hmm. I, you know, sort of tried to advocate for the deal I thought I had and, you know, was sort of told that it wasn't possible. And, you know, so for me, there was a moment there where I, you know, I could have quit. I could Mm -hmm. have gone back to my other job. Was this early on in your career? It was like mid career. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I had enough confidence to ask for what I wanted, Mm -hmm. but not enough confidence to make sure I got it. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. which was a learning lesson. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and I, I, I think I could have gone back to my previous job, like mm-hmm. that job was still open and, and I could have just said, you know, this isn't working for me, but mm-hmm. I believed in the opportunity and I wanted the growth experience. So mm-hmm. I sort of took it. And every day I came into the office and I was like mad, you know, and I was just like, I just don't feel like I was treated right. Mm -hmm. And it weighed on me a lot. And what I realized is that, you know, when you carry that stuff around yourself, Mm -hmm. it it does weigh on you and it's not, not, not in a good way. And so I started talking about it with Mm -hmm. people. I just started putting it out there and coworkers, friends, friends, husband, family, the guy who I negotiated with, you know, and just sort of registered that I like something wasn't sitting right. Yeah. And what I realized is that people don't like people not to feel good. Right. So that (laughs) created an opportunity to say, well, hold on, what would make, like, what would alleviate this? You know, what would solve it? And I started to like find the places where I thought I could make progress, where Mm -hmm. I could like make my case known, where I felt like there was an action that Mm -hmm. could be taken to address the issue where I could advocate for my own self, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, I, I worked hard. I proved I could do the job. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, that was table stakes. Right. But then I said, no, I need this fixed. Mm -hmm. And it got fixed. And so for me, yeah. And I got put on, it took a while. There were steps like, you know, first it was like, oh, this should make you happy. And I, like some 
interim step. And I was like, yeah, that didn't really make me happy. You know, I, I, yes, it's better. It's not worse, Yeah, but it's not sufficient. And it seems like it almost taught you what you wanted in so many ways. Totally. And and how to articulate it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it took a while and it took a lot of like finding, um, advocates and, Mm -hmm. and champions and delivering, continuing to deliver, you know, at the level necessary to prove that it was, that I was worth it. Yeah. But then it got fixed. And then something happened at that job where I was like, I don't, I love it here. Like, this is great. (laughs) Like I would never want any other job, you know? And until the next thing comes along, maybe, but um, no, No, it's good. You stuck it out and you were able to see that it could get better. Yeah. And you realize like people want to help and, Mm -hmm. and you just have to find the right ones. And also like I, in retrospect, I don't think it was that the person negotiated in bad faith. Mm -hmm. I just think there were like issues beyond that guy's control Mm -hmm. that he didn't know how to appropriately manage or communicate himself. And so he ended up stuck in a, in a rough situation himself, you know, and you realize that like none of none of this stuff is personal yeah it feels personal because it's about your life yeah but oftentimes there's like a lot of other stuff going on and so don't be discouraged Mm -hmm. find the find the path and and get what you need yeah you know I love that cool well can you tell me a little bit about a challenge that maybe you feel you wish you had handled slightly differently oh, than gosh. maybe you did. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's lots of those, I'm sure. Um, but those we learn the most from. Those we so. do learn the most from. It's true. It's true. No, there was one time where I had to actually let an employee go, and that's never fun. It's never fun. <laughs> And it was the sort of last step in what had been, you know, a, a tough situation in a pretty mm-hmm. small environment uh, on a small team. And and I think it had been tough for me, but I probably hadn't communicated this, the depth of all of the, of the issues I was facing along the way. Mm-hmm. But somebody told me, you know, never fire somebody right before their vacation. <laughs> and this guy was going away on this vacation. That's so hard. <laughs> and I was like, well, obviously, I, you know, they told me not to fire him right before he goes. So I guess I'll wait till he gets back. And that must've been so painful while he was gone. Just knowing well, and I'm like lining everything up, whatever. And oh. then he comes back and he's like tan and super relaxed. Oh, no. And he's like, Oh, Hey, I'm, it's so good to see you. Like, uh, you know, I'm back. I'm yeah. like ready to dive in. And I was like, actually, you know, we have to talk. And you know, it was super jarring for him yeah. in a way that was probably not fair to him. Do you which, think it would have been better to do it before he had left? I mean, I th- or wait another week. Like in yeah. the scheme of things, what would have been another week, yeah. you know, or whatever. But I do regret that. And I know he was really mad at me for a really long time. <laughs> and I'm sure I deserved it. But, you know, he moved on to a job that I think he's extremely well suited for and mm-hmm. had some really interesting opportunities and stuff. So it's, I think the fact is, like, sometimes jobs aren't right for people. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, you know, you do have to make that difficult decision and go through that process. Mm-hmm. I think what I learned from it is that for the person who's being let go, like you always have to put their needs first yeah. and really put yourself in their shoes and think about how they would want to be treated in that situation. So that I feel, I'm sorry, but, um, <laughs> if you're listening, but I did learn a lot from that. Yeah. No, it sounds like a very sort of almost humbling experience. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So let's just have a moment because you're so awesome. And I'd love to hear about what you feel is sort of your greatest accomplishment. 
Jeez. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you this, like putting the first link in the ground was like phenomenal. It happened yeah. on my birthday in oh, 2016, really? 2015 oh, and December 28th. <laughs> and that was like seeing everything come together and seeing this thing put in the ground was like really, really rewarding. And then we hit, you know, 500 links and a thousand links and yeah. 1500 links and 200 links in the UK and all of those milestones sort of rack up. And, and that's definitely the most visible um, yeah. tangible accomplishment that How I have. How were you working on it before that first link went into the ground? It was about a year. It was almost oh, wow. a little more than a year after the contract was signed. Mm-hmm. And I had been on the project for about seven months. Wow. That's so, a lot of hard work went into yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. It was and a lot of people and a lot. Yeah. A lot yeah. of effort. But it's great. You get to see them now on your way to work. Everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's phenomenal. Yeah. But I think also, I mean, also, I was very excited to be recognized by Cranes this year as a 40 under 40, which I will tell you was the last possible year it could have happened. But, <laughs> but um, that's an amazing but accomplishment. It was, yeah, that was, that was super exciting. And it's, you know, I'm not a very like, pu- you know, public facing person a mm-hmm. lot of the time, but it's really cool to see your accomplishments in the press. I got a lot of really amazing emails and calls and notes about it. And so that was a moment where I, you know, definitely got to reflect and got, you know, felt pretty good about yeah how far I'd come that's awesome yeah so what advice would you give young women who are just sort of getting started in their career and you know trying to pave a path that you know when you're in school I think a lot of what you do it's like you know how to study you know how to get the help you need but when you're in your career there's so many different curveballs thrown at you um so what advice would you give young women or young men starting their career and trying to navigate such tricky waters Yeah, I think um, for anybody, really, it's kind of the theme, I guess, is like, be strong Mm -hmm. and and listen. I think one thing, you know, one thing that happened to me is when I was working after 9-11 in lower Manhattan, I was going to community meetings all the time, like Mm -hmm. business meeting, you know, any convening of any body involved in the rebuilding of the World Trade Center, I was there. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember I went back to Carl, my boss at the time, and I said, Carl, I'm spending, you know, 10 hours a day in these like long rambling public mm-hmm. meetings. There are these new things called Blackberries. <laughs> can you give me a Blackberry so I can like, I don't have to come back to the office and do my work like after 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, and I can like get stuff done while I'm, while I'm in these meetings. And Carl said, those cost $700. No way. <laughs> and, and I joke because I spent all this time in these meetings actually listening, which nobody yeah. does anymore, (laughs) right? Everyone's on their phones. Everyone's distracted with their computers and their devices. And we really don't listen. And I, I think about that all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think about how as a young person exposed to that in those environments that like, I just soaked it all in. Mm -hmm. And I think for young people today, like it's much harder to like turn stuff off Mm -hmm. and sit with people. And, and what I think comes down to is like find people you can connect with and literally not, not virtually, not, I mean, (laughs) you know, like touch base by email, go in a chat room or a Slack channel or whatever. That's all fine. But, but also crave those times where you get to actually like be with another person Mm -hmm. and get to know what it's like because working in organizations is all managing people. You're managing your boss, you're managing the people that work for you, you're managing your partners Mm -hmm. and your vendors and your clients. 
And it's about how do you get along with people fundamentally. And to me, that's something that's something I got to learn Mm -hmm. from that experience downtown. And that I think is so easy to avoid learning Mm -hmm. today if you don't really make an effort. Yeah. No, I, I that's really powerful. You know, I had the pleasure of hearing you sort of give a little talk to um, intersection employees on the value of public speaking. And I would love to hear any strategies. I know that was a full hour, but if you can just think of some of the key points and messages that you, you know, would want to share to others. I think it was really powerful. Yeah, definitely. No, public speaking and any kind of like speaking where you have an audience, right, is so important. Mm -hmm. And it's so reflective of your own capabilities and interests and personality. Mm -hmm. And you want that all to come through anytime you're, you're speaking. And so what I sort of what I think it comes down to is knowing your audience, Mm -hmm. right? Who are they? Where are they coming from? What are they thinking? Knowing yourself, right? Do you like to stand? Do you like to sit? Where are you comfortable? knowing your material. Are you familiar with the topic? Is it something you feel passionate about? What are you trying to communicate exactly? And then knowing your goals, what do you want the outcome to be? Do you want your audience to walk away informed? Do you need them to vote on something? Mm -hmm. Um, Do you (laughs) need them to ask a bunch of questions or not ask any questions? Mm -hmm. Um, And then making sure that you're tailoring your message toward the outcome that you want. And so those were kind of the fundamentals that I was talking to the staff here about and that I think are really really important. And I think, you know, taking the time in advance to prepare and to make sure that you, you know, you know, all of those things going into it is, is super critical and makes it much more compelling when you're actually delivering. Yeah, absolutely. So this podcast actually got started because I had to deal with an office bully. um, And you were really awesome and gave me a lot of great advice. So I would love to hear about if you've ever had to deal with an office bully, how you handled it. God, haven't we all? What's wrong with (laughs) Who are you, office bullies? And stop. No, it's crazy. I mean, definitely I've had, I've had my share of bullying behavior. I mean, you know, unfortunately I think it starts in school when you're really young, my kids are starting to deal with it even. And, you know, in this day and age and with online and everything, it's, it's far more dire. And I think we do need to really be focused on what the strategies and tactics are for dealing with it. Mm -hmm. Obviously talking about it helps, but I think, you know, for me, look, I had bully who would just scream at me like in the middle of the whole office office, just scream and throw things over something like totally, well, what seemed totally benign. Clearly there was a reaction that was quite (laughs) extreme. And so I think, you know, for me, it's really about, and my dad used to say this when I was growing up, like, what kills you is the surprise, right? Mm -hmm. When you, when you're sort of sitting across from someone and you realize that they're bullying you or, or exhibiting bad behavior and Mm -hmm. you're like, oh my gosh, (laughs) like what is going on here? I'm shocked. I'm odd. Right. And but you know, these people's personalities, you can see them a mile away in most cases, you know? And so what I realized is like, you just have to not, and when you're surprised, you're like thrown, you're like, well, I'm so shocked. What do I do? Right. Like that's kind of the response. But if you say, I'm not shocked by this, I knew this was going to happen or something like it. And here's what I'm going to do, you know? And so for me, it's about not being surprised and sort of saying to yourself, like, you know, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. You, you may not know exactly how it's going to exhibit itself, but it's going to exhibit itself. Yeah. So be prepared. And so then I, again, talk to friends, family, mm-hmm. co- 
colleagues about sort of how to deal with it or what going back to like, what are you trying to communicate? What's yeah. the purpose of the interaction? And then making sure you don't sort of react in kind that when somebody's, you know, kind of comes at you that you are measured in your response and mm-hmm. approach and that you say, Hey, look, here's the deal. And with my office bully, I ended up sitting down after a crazy outburst. I ended up sitting down with him after the, it was on a Friday. So on Monday I came in and I said, I need to speak with you. Mm -hmm. And we sat down at a table and I said, that will never happen again. It just won't. And he said, Oh, that was nothing. And I said, no, it was not nothing. Yeah. It was something very big and very bad. Yeah. In this case, this person was my boss at the time. Oh, wow. That's hard because then you can't even talk to your boss about it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I said, you know, this won't happen. And he could tell that I meant it. Yeah. You know, and I think he was, if I had to guess, he was partly ashamed Mm -hmm. of his own behavior. Yeah. And embarrassed. Yeah. And he clearly wanted to end that conversation as quickly as possible, which I used to my advantage, you know? Yeah. And I drew my line in the sand yeah. and I said, if, if you're going to act this way, then I'm not going to be here. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you are a top performer, mm-hmm. when you are a respected person in an organization, when you are delivering results, it's a lot harder to, for people to take that risk. Yeah. Right. And you have more power than you know you have. Yeah. And that's what I realized. And I used my power you know, to get what I needed Mm -hmm. and to be, be treated properly. And it's sad. It's sad that it takes that, that that's what I had to feel, you know, it's sad that that's just not people's de facto, Mm -hmm. you know, that there's just not more like respect for others in the world. Yeah. And so parents teach your kids and Mm -hmm. friends teach one another and like, let's all do better. But when those, in those situations where, where people don't treat people, others respectfully, I think, find your inner power and call it out. Yeah. Did it get better? It did. Yeah. I haven't had any instance since. So yeah. So I do, I do think that like drawing a line in the sand that like finding your, you know, it's, it, it was scary and it Mm -hmm. was hard, you know, and I'll tell you, like I have a, I have a tell my, (laughs) when I'm upset about something, uh, my voice shakes. I cannot, I've like worked on this. I can't figure it out. Like (laughs) my voice like reverberates and that's like when you know, something matters to me and I get like emotional which is super bad in like salary negotiations (laughs) and like legal, you know, I've been in situations where it has not served me. And, you know, and in this situation, like I was sitting there and my voice was shaking and I had every like reason to lose confidence, you Mm -hmm. know, but I have three daughters. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't want their mom treated that way. I have a loving husband who did not want me treated that way. I have a team that delivers every day for this company and they didn't want me treated that way. And I sort of drew on all of that um, goodwill Mm -hmm. and remembered that like I had a voice and I had a right to be treated fairly and reasonably and fundamentally the guy knew that too. Yeah. I think it's interesting because, you know, a lot of these experiences, I think people, when they face them in their life, they think the best solution is just to leave. And it almost seems like in some of your experiences, like, like working through them and getting to that better outcome has such a more positive 
outcome in the long run because you see that experience through and you know you're now stronger and more capable of overcoming more experiences that get thrown like that. Totally. I think that is such a great point and Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And I think today a lot of young people particularly feel like, you know, oh, I'm gonna change jobs 17 times and I'm gonna be better elsewhere. Yeah. And like, oh, they stopped serving cold brew. I'm out of (laughs) here. And um and uh I will not stand for this. Um, but, and that may be true. Like maybe that is your, your line in the sand, but, um, but I do think that like my, my, I know for me, like my biggest personal growth Mm -hmm. has come from the challenges that I've faced and how I've worked through them. And I don't know why I believe I came to, I mean, I worked through nine 11, like there's not like, that's crazy. There's nothing worse. And so, and maybe that was it, but just for me, it's like, it's the journey, right? Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't, I don't want to go to an office where every day I'm going to like, is going to be roses. I want to go where there are like hard problems to solve and complicated issues to unravel and a good, strong team that wants to work on that with you and wants to like, see it through. And I think today, you know, there's an instinct to like, when something becomes hard, you're supposed to like move around it yep. or jump over it or put it to the side or like delete the app or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and it's like, there's, there is definitely something to be said for persevering mm-hmm. and the sort of, you know, there's a the common phrase now about like grit, right? Mm-hmm. Like people have to get, be gritty if they're going to be successful, right? Yeah. They have to navigate hard, hard things and manage through difficult experiences. And so I would encourage that again, I guess that goes back to the thing of like, like take on the challenges, right? Yeah. Like, don't be afraid of them. Don't be shocked mm-hmm. by them. Don't think that they shouldn't have happened, you know, yeah. take the, take the good with the bad and find your way through. And and challenge yourself to really learn from the experience. Mm-hmm. And that will make you infinitely more capable the next time yeah. until there's a different, harder yeah. <laughs> yeah, to overcome. I also really like the fact that you sort of sat your boss down and said, like, this doesn't work for me, because I think that also paves the path that he now knows it won't work for other people as well. And I think you that, hope, yeah. yeah, you hope yeah. at least. <laughs> yeah. Um, But I think, and also I think it's important because I know a lot of people have concerns about approaching their bosses, mm -hmm. you know, and I I do think there's like a different, uh, a difference between being like whiny or high maintenance or something, right? Those are kind of often labels that get put on, I think, particularly women who may try to assert different needs. And Mm -hmm. I think there should always be a process by that you use a like mental check Mm -hmm. to figure out if this is really something you need to stand on ceremony for, you know, like is how much does this matter to your life? Mm -hmm. Right. How much does this matter to your experience? And I think if it does matter, you need to be able to speak about, speak up about it. Mm -hmm. If, if you're sort of on the fence or you think maybe it doesn't matter, then I think you need to consider saving your dry powder for another day, you know, like, right. Because, because again, these are relationships Mm -hmm. and it's, they're negotiations and they're, you know, you don't always want to be a taker. Yeah. You want to be a giver. So you need to perform, you need to be respectful, right. You need to participate. 
And you also need, I think, need to be aware of whatever constraints there are. In the case of the bully, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was a, a, that was like a defining line, right? Yeah. But in the case of cold brew, maybe less so, right? So, you know, where on the spectrum is your issue today? Yeah. And I think one strategy that you've told me before that I think was really helpful and and something I hope more people will do as well is is sending an email after you have those hard conversations and just saying, hey, this is just to reiterate, you know, this is what we talked about. And I think you said even CCing sort of your personal email, just so you have record of it and you kind of know, you know, this is what we talked about and this is how this is how we resolved it. Yeah. And having that. Yeah. Yeah. And having it documented and making sure that you're clear about it. And there's Mm -hmm. like the understanding that you thought you had was, was an understanding that you had, you know, in practice. Yeah. And I, I think that can be really valuable. And I also think, I mean, the thing about your personal account is that I do think as people who are going to have long careers Mm -hmm. and, and, work in various places and have various experiences, it's important for your own record keeping to just mm-hmm. like know what you've been through and to almost it's, it's, it's sort of like it could be a form of like journaling almost, yeah. you know, which I think is, is super valuable. But the other thing it does also is it gives you a record. And I think as women in the workplace, particularly, or anybody who feels at all vulnerable Mm -hmm. in any situation, those kinds of documentations can give you security. Mm -hmm. And you can take them to an attorney at some point and say, this is what I was experiencing. This is what I went through. This describes the interaction or Mm -hmm. the situation that I had. And even if you don't intend to ever bring a lawsuit or even yeah. if it's not that kind of a thing, <laughs> yeah. you know, it can serve as a way to just like get more buy-in mm-hmm. for and, and validation for what you're going through. Because I think so often the dynamics of the workplace environment for women thrive, can can thrive on ice, the feeling of isolation, right? Mm-hmm. Like women don't feel like they can talk about things openly, like they can like be forthcoming with their feelings mm-hmm. or their um, concerns in a way that is, you know, just reacted to or taken seriously by the organization or by the individual. Mm-hmm. And so I just try to think of advice for people to find that empowerment, yeah. you know, And that, and one way is documenting it and keeping a repository so that you have it and can do what you need to do with it, whatever that may be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, awesome. Are there any sort of final last words of wisdom? I mean, be strong and listen's great. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, it's funny because I was um, talking to another colleague of ours who was telling me that she described me as someone who there, there are two types of women. There are women that want other women not to succeed because they view it as competition. And so they want to keep other women as far away from them as possible. Mm -hmm. And then there are other women that want to raise up women, right. And sort of be part of a community of successful women in the world. And so I think, you know, my, the sort of parting advice I would say is for any woman who's listening just be the ladder just yeah. for yourself, for your friends, for your colleagues, for the world, for yeah. daughters. Let's just all be the ladder, man. Cause there's a lot of room here. And I think we all, um, you know, we all want to bring our talents and our capabilities and our unique perspectives to make, you know, whatever environment we're in a better place. And we ought to really support that and do everything that we can to celebrate it because mm-hmm. there's just not enough of that in the world. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's a great way to end. Well, well thank, thank you. you. Yeah, this was amazing. And I'm super excited to be your inaugural session. Yeah, here. no, so thank you so, so much. I mean, this was amazing. So we're really lucky to have you as our first episode. <laughs> Onward and upward. Yes, exactly. <laughs> thank you so much for your time and your wisdom, Jen. Check back soon for another episode of Boss Ladies.